145 coming at you. This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched a movie this week. We're covering The Power of the Dog. Power of the Dog has exploded onto uh, Netflix top 10. People are talking about awards. They're talking about maybe another woman, best director. So we thought, what in the world is this? Oh, it's based <laughs> on a novel. Oh, we have to. Yeah. Again, we're back in Benedict Cumberbatch land. I know we just <laughs> visited him, but he's back with us again. The yeah. Power of the Dog. <laughs> it exploded 1.2 million households in its wow. first five days in the U.S., for comparison, you know, this is sort of a two hour ish art house title in a way. And I saw Hawkeye on Disney drew 1.5 million for its first five days. Wow. So, wow. you know, and, and also the other buzz is 12 years since Jane Campion's last feature film. Right. So uh, if any any cinephile out there <laughs> would uh, recognize the title, The Piano, an early 90s movie with a stacked cast, that's probably one of her most prominent works. Uh, mm -hmm. It's definitely the one that I know her from. And yeah, she hasn't made a movie in over a decade. And this here she is hot on the scene. And it hinges on a third act twist. And this is going to relate heavily into the story of the author and the genesis of this material. So just a little bit of a spoiler warning up front that we are going to have to dissect the end of this film. So if you don't want to be spoiled for that run, go check out the movie, come back here, we'll be waiting for you. If you're yeah. confused by the end of the film, if you're interested in the end of the film and the thematics of that, buckle up, you're in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because what, what happens is, Here's the spoiler. The main guy dies. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and at the hands of someone who you thought was going to be a friend or a helper or a lover or some thing. He's, he's wooing. He's wooing a, a, a young boy. This is a, a, a film about uh, masculinity, sexuality, and uh, his brother's wife's son mm -hmm. uh, is effeminate. And the main character, Benedict Cumberbatch's character, Mr. Burbank, he has uh, modeled himself in the in the image of this rough and tough cowboy esque, and it doesn't fit. And so this whole film is about contrasting these two types of people. But it turns out that Mr. Burbank has a latent past with his sexuality, with his masculinity, and these two people are going to come to a head. For most of the film, you think maybe we're going in a Brokeback Mountain direction, but then the final. The final scenes really turn this around on its head, and I think that is going to be much of the crux of this discussion. It seems yeah. that he poisons Mr. Burbank with some uh, some rancid cattle hide. They suggest perhaps anthrax. Throughout the film, they are building a cattle rope out of hide, and supposedly the kid retrieved some diseased hide and got it into an open wound on Mr. Burbank's hand and yeah. killed him. And we're, we're suggested at the end of the film to believe that this is on purpose. We see the young boy holding the rope with gloves and then sliding it under his bed and then seeing the final image of his now happy mother who has her own yeah. journey, played by Kirsten Dunst, a wonderful performance. We see her slide into alcoholism and then come out of it through the actions of the final act. Yeah. Uh, when she ends up with Mr. Burbank's brother, Jesse Plemons. The the last image there is is, is really, and it, and it relates to the opening lines about trying to save his mother, this young boy trying to save his mother from alcoholism. And perhaps yeah. that is the energy trade-off here that it took getting rid of Mr. Burbank, the toxic masculinity to fix this family, to fix this story. Yeah. And his toxic masculinity also being this 
false homophobia hiding kind of his own proclivities. There's a great quote from the book. It's towards the end where you're really getting a picture of who he is because you think of him just as the classic Western figure. But the quote is, he had loathed the world, should it loathe him first. Mm. In the book, since we're, we're talking about the ending and people are, is it interpretive? In the last paragraph, it's basically the last line it outright says it explains it all to a degree. It's really? like, and he had the rope which he had poisoned with the end. <laughs> like it just, okay, it just okay. lays it so out. It, okay, yeah, okay. It very plainly so bo- says it, basically as plainly as I just said it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because the film is definitely at an arm's distance, and I think that's a little bit of our discussion today. Is I'm worried that maybe the film is going to leave some audience members confused. There's a plenty of audience members that are absolutely going to get it immediately, but I think that there's there's room here for some audience members to be maybe. Uh, focused on the wrong things, asking the wrong questions, not sure, whereas like the book just outright tells you exactly what the truth of it is. That's very, When I think it's because it's been, yeah, it's been so couched in secrecy within the book. There's a lot of subtextual things and whatnot, but then to just outright say it at the end is kind of the wallop that you're looking for in text, perhaps. So, Well, that's a little refreshing because if I have a criticism of the whole thing is the whole thing is subtext. It lives in the subtext (laughs) and I kind of just wanted to break out and like, let's discuss it. So like hearing that the book is that matter of fact about it at the end, I'm like, oh, oh. And, And the movie's beautiful. The performances are great. The writing is great. But- it's a little bit of a labor and it's not meditative it's, piece. Yeah, it's, it's definitely it's not about to just give you the answers and and even things in the book that are <laughs> plain as day uh, it, written out in verbiage. The movie has this arm's distance. That's the struggle with show versus tell. Yeah. Uh, whereas the book does not allow for that to be. <laughs> there's no there's no <laughs> fidelity there. between. here it is. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what do you think of it kind of thing? Yeah. Now meditate on it for a yeah. week or whatever. Yeah. So. All that is great setup for the author's life and all that stuff, but I'd like to get into the film and how it was found and how it was made because it's this almost forgotten book from the 60s. Right. Why wasn't it picked up? Was it all of these questions we usually have? Yeah, why? With, I mean, I mean, yeah. this is on the outset. We have a book from the 60s that's never been adapted to my knowledge and especially Correct. not in this type of fashion. And you have a lauded director that hasn't worked in over a decade with a stacked cast. Yeah. <laughs> How? <laughs> How? I did want to mention, yeah, one one person working on it, Ari Wegner, who is the cinematographer, if only because we had done something else that she had worked on recently, the film Zola, a completely different yes. film <laughs> about- This is the same cinematographer? Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow, incredible. Now, let that stand as an example. If anybody's been following along or if anybody's aware of the two films, I mean, they couldn't be more different tonally, stylistically, aesthetically. Yeah. Um, And for that to be coming out of the same eye. That's yeah, wild. That's that's a great yeah. talent. Uh, Zola is an awesome movie. I loved. I loved. And both of these films, I would say, on their tone, on you know, uh, on their mm-hmm. feel, very, very strong and very different. So yeah. you know, hats off to her. Very talented. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Let's talk about Jane real quick from New Zealand, known for women's stories, feminist perspectives. Some might say she, as we said, has not done a feature film in twelve years, but she did 
write, direct, produce this TV series called Top of the Lake that has Elizabeth Moss in it. And she did Hmm. two seasons, one in 2013 and one in 2017. It's sort of this murder, mystery, crime situation. Did she do all the episodes or a few episodes? Yeah, she was the creator on it all. She wrote all of them and then directed about half of the oh, the whole show. Okay. So yeah, all so right. she and a big part of that was she was like film at this point in my career is so constricting and TV is so expansive like mm. for whatever reason. Very interesting. Um, the thing I found with then her finding this book because that's a big question <laughs> that we always ask. Right. Where did this come from? She said her stepmother sent it to her. She is an English teacher. Kind of like Taika, huh? Yeah, she said, well, you might like this. Just all the good, yeah, all the good moms in New Zealand. (laughs) I think you might like this. That's what, that's the only thing. She was like, it's not, she's like, I wish there was a better uh, origin story, but I read it. And again, with the feature stuff, she was like, I was sort of unattracted to that doing a feature type thing. But Mm -hmm. then it just kept picking away at her, the themes for weeks and weeks. And it actually was optioned several times before, but just never, because she then looked into, well, how do I get the rights to this? Uh. Um, But nobody ever turned it into anything. The book, some of the stuff that I thought was interesting, you know, it has a lot because it's a novel of the backstory of things. So it goes Mm -hmm. into, in a good portion, Phil and George's childhood. Right. And the whole second chapter is kind of a, it seems like it's a different story, but it's about Peter the effeminate boy, mm-hmm. his dad grows up, goes to middle, medical school, how he lives, how he met Rose, and then how he dies. And then that's why Rose then moves on and meets George right. and so on. So that's a lot of backstory. They don't even really mention Peter's That's a whole miniseries. Dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I thought it was beautiful and it, and it really ties into, mm-hmm. I think, maybe more of Peter's reasoning behind it what he feels about protecting his mom because in the book his dad commits suicide and he's trying to do the right thing but is just incapable and sorry about it. So then it gives Peter more of that, I would feel like masculine bravado to be like, oh, I have to protect my mom. Right. I have to do what it takes because my dad couldn't The question kind of is of what is being a man. You yeah. know, the man of yeah. my family is gone. If I am to be, then how? Mm-hmm. Jane though said, one of the things that they wanted to do with writing the feature is have no flashbacks, not go back. Yeah. Because there's some other stuff with Bronco Henry as well. That which became was, apparent yeah. to me. Now, number mm-hmm. one, you get the the dad passing away and the and Peter, the boy, finding him all through just telling Phil. Right. Uh, and then additionally, uh, the boy finds the pornography yeah. uh, hidden in the woods where Phil is with more... Bronco Henry accoutrement. Yeah. Bronco Henry yeah, yeah. is the is the cowboy he, that that Phil uh, Burbank modeled himself after. So this kid finds gay pornography with Bronco Henry's name handwritten on them, hidden away yeah. in some you know dilapidated structure. It becomes apparent to me that this is where the book has much more to offer. Uh, in mm-hmm. the su- in the suicide of the father, and then in the backstory between Bronco Henry, I knew I immediately I was like, "This is the stuff that probably is in the book that couldn't make it into the two hours on screen." Mm-hmm. Here. Yeah. yeah, so they're yeah, just yeah. they're they're they really now that you're saying it that they made a conscious effort to strip all of that stuff off the side, almost like a uh, you know sawing uh, limbs off a tree trunk. <laughs> now you just have the mm-hmm. trunk in the middle. That's the movie. It's a, it's a movie about these two people. Yeah, um, and it just progresses. As far as the placement, 
she, Jane Campion, the director and writer, had lived on a farm in New Zealand with her parents. You know, she had rode horses and they had cattle and that kind of thing. So that part of it okay, so she's got didn't some tactile connection to it. Yeah, but she, I mean, nothing like a ranch in Montana. Sure, so but they, something. You know, she, mm-hmm. she's like she's been on a horse. She's been in the wilderness. Yeah. You know, she's had to yeah. solve problems. Uh, you know, in that kind of you know arms distance, but that kind of environment. Yeah. So, but she did say she wanted to do her due diligence. If somebody was making a movie in honor of her, even if it was a fictional thing that she'd written, she'd want to have figured out what they were interested in. So she did actually scout at the actual ranch that Thomas Savage, the author of the book, had lived and met some of his family and they showed her pictures and, you know, who they had thought he was basing Bronco Henry off of. Oh my gosh. So all that then leading me to figuring out this book, this 67 novel by Thomas yeah. Savage. Because um, what this is, it's a, you know, it's a meditation on masculinity and sexuality. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also showing how a cyclical, uh, a toxic cycle can be yeah. broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it seems like these cycles go on indefinitely and that they're looking for the next person to be a part of that cycle. This movie hinges on how a cycle might break, how a cycle might be put an end to. And it's, it's, you know, happy and sad at the same time because you could hate Phil for what he's done, but you could empathize with him for what he's been through. And, and same thing with Peter, the younger kid. Like, Absolutely. there's all different. By the there's end so of the film, they're, 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 you know, there's <laughs> nobody's innocent. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and mm-hmm. I think that that's much of the, the takeaway there. Yeah. Yeah. So just a little bit of the book first. It was well-received when it came out. I saw that it was on the New York Times new and recommended list for two months, Mm. but it sold very poorly. I didn't find the numbers, but a scholar had estimated that it was probably a thousand or less copies in hardcover. No way. And basically forgotten about until it got republished in 2001. And this is the copy that I got and read. And I couldn't really find a reason why, except for there's an afterword, which is written by Annie Prue, who wrote Brokeback Mountain. Uh And she kind of lays out a lot about this guy. And this is Jane Campion also saying, I went to her and asked her because she looked into this guy more. And Brokeback Mountain came out, the short story, in 97. So one might think that she probably was the impetus for it getting revitalized or maybe she was inspired by it or I couldn't find exactly why it got That would make sense because she's clearly interested in the the thematics, uh, in that setting, in that so it would make sense for her to have been familiar with the book. The That's the idea of the artist taking it a step further. It's like, well, this book was talking about some things. Well, what do yeah. we do with these people walking straight up into the 20th century? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do we do this when we move these type of thematics into two different marriages? I, I'm a big fan of Brokeback Mountain, and I, and I found myself thinking of Brokeback Mountain often oh, yeah. during this film. So uh, it's only natural to me that the connection here is actually <laughs> is actually really <laughs> thick. It, it seems it seems that um, and it, she had to have had some connection with this material. Yeah. That's where Brokeback Mountain is is really emerges from. It's it's taking the baton the next step. And then yeah. through her spotlight on it after Brokeback Mountain is published mid-90s into 2000, that's how you get the new publisher. Yeah. I, we can only assume. She doesn't say so, but I couldn't find any other reason wink, wink, why, why, why it would come out. <laughs> and then she has a full 20 pages on this guy in the back. Right. you know. So, And also with that, you know, she says a little bit, it's more her dissecting the book and its themes. I was very proud of myself for this research. 
there isn't much about this guy. That's kind of the whole point of it. And then the book wasn't published until decades later in a reprint. So I had to subscribe to some academic journal websites and magazines in Montana to find this stuff. There's really mm. not much. And then also the title of the book was a book about the drug trade or drug, something with drugs mm. that came out recently. So if you look up The Power of the Dog, there's a whole other book right, that right, supersedes right. all that, yeah. search results for this one. It wasn't anything like the movie. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. So this is all the actual stuff of Thomas Savage and the power of the dog. I had seen in a thing talking about him that he loved bright scarves, flashy cars. He owned Rolls Royces and Jaguars, Caviar and Escargot. Sick. Lived in Massachusetts for most of his writing career. So it seems counter to how he grew up, which is mm -hmm. a lot of this story. He grew up as an effeminate young man on a ranch in Montana. The bulk of his work, 13 novels, was between 1944 and 1988. Okay. And of them, eight are set in Western country. Leading up to this, born in 1915 in Utah and grew up with his mother and stepfather, Charles Brenner, on a cattle ranch in Montana. Mm. So already right there, he's, he's moving in with his mom and stepdad onto a ranch that his mom is not a part of. And nothing like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> we'll probably keep saying that throughout. Yeah. He, uh, he wrote an article about breaking a horse in 1937 and sent it to a magazine and made 75 bucks. And he said he spent some of it on a prom dress for a girl and Aww. something else on some investment that didn't go through. But that was, you know, just the, the kind of sort of false start. He didn't sell anything for another seven years. Although... He did go to the University of Montana to study writing, met one of the professor's daughters, and then they got married in 39. Mm, okay. But he ended up moving back to the Brenner Ranch because 1942, World War II is happening. Mm. It's hard to find ranch help. He's 27 now, okay. just to, to make sense of things. And I had seen that Beaverhead County, where the ranch was, at the time was the second largest livestock producing county in the U.S., Wow. <laughs> so it would only make sense that, oh, they need a lot of help and yeah. he's been there and he's doing it. So he goes back. Eventually, this is then the Massachusetts side. He moves to Boston in 44 and his first novel gets published. Of course, as with all <laughs> writer stuff, could not support now children and his wife. So he teaches at a university. He's a shipyard welder. He's a railroad brakeman. He works at a hospital. Lord. All in the meantime, publishing two more books and then is able to write full time. His second novel I saw was actually uh, bought by Columbia, gave him $50,000 for movie rights. What? So this was never made, of course, but that's the thing that then made him financially secure wow. so that he could continue to write. And then I also saw his wife, Elizabeth, he w was also working to be a novelist and she helped him to edit and she published nine novels of her own. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So she passed in 89, and then he passed 14 years later in 2003. So that all mm. seems pretty clear-cut. Similar to Phil, though, and the life influences, kind of the undercurrent stuff. While he was married, he had several long-term relationships with men, and he mm. came out in the late 50s. And some of this stuff is speculative as far as you know who's saying what but elizabeth his wife said that she was aware of his homosexuality before they were married mm -hmm. it's known that he had an affair with this children's book author tommy de paula hmm. 
who came out much later as well. And basically, Thomas Savage essentially left his family for a year in 1960 oh my God. and was with this other author. They had even exchanged rings I had read. Wow. And he just felt so conflicted about this that he ended it and returned to his family in 61. Wow. He had written a book. This is This is where now we're getting to the power of the dog stuff. This is in the midpoint of this when he'd already moved to Boston, but he had written a book based on this part of his life and his agent said it would never be published what? and Thomas Savage just destroyed it. I read that he threw it into the Atlantic. That's what they said. What? No. Just completely. Yeah. So then six years later, the next novel that he comes out with is The Power of the Dog after this opening up to this and then closing it off. And then being told that this is not a story to tell. So is that text lost? Yeah. 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 God. It, yeah. That sucks. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. I think the, the, so the opening of the book, which Jane Campion said she tried to put in at the beginning of the movie, but then it sort of made the beginning too long. You know, you, know, you got to repace mm-hmm. things, but it's still in there when Peter comes into the story. And I think it threw off a lot of people when the book first came out because the first line of the book is Phil always did the castrating and then just describes him castrating a bull Wow! in graphic detail. Wow. And the fact that he doesn't use gloves, which then straight away becomes part of the story and the fact that that's how he gets poisoned is because he's not covering up his hands. Yeah, they make it a character thing where he even goes out of his way and and his brother knows it that he does not go around like, you know, bad cattle, <laughs> like he does not go around diseased cattle, diseased animal. Yeah. He doesn't touch them um because mm-hmm. he doesn't wear gloves. Yeah. I just thought that the opening line Phil always did the castrating. I yeah. had read someone saying it's like it's also the symbolic emasculation yes. of him and from the very beginning it's the first line. The, the what are you talking about? His life Taylor's just, it's just brutal, man. It's just, <laughs> that's all it's supposed to be, man. It's supposed to be like brutal. No, no, I, I, it's, it's pretty evident from, from the first line there, what the thematics of this possibly can be. And that's interesting too. But again, going back to my first thoughts of this movie, seeing Benedict Cumberbatch in this role, I'm going, what is it about this story mm-hmm. that got him involved in this? Because if it had started with that, I would have went, this is why he is in this in this role in this movie, um, because you don't really get any of that, any of those thematics until a little bit later. It's, it's yeah. really more focused on setting up his rough and gruff, you know, mm-hmm. um, mirror image of uh, Bronco that mm-hmm. that it's focused on until uh, until him and the boy really start to uh, become yeah. closer in proximity. So that symbolism, literally the first line of the book. It's fantastic. Some of the other literary stuff that was influencing him, he had said, Mrs. Bridge by Evan S. Connell was one of the best novels I ever read, hmm. which again, strange thing nobody's ever heard of. But I also then saw that James Patterson, famous novelist, also said that that was his most influenced novel. So then I had to look it up. No way. This thing came out in 59 and it's about an upper middle class family in Kansas City before World War II. And it's very similar thing, changing habits in America, to, you know, the the changes in morality, civil rights, gender equality. It's, Little plot but, against America th- th- vibes there. Well, that, what's kind of interesting is that uh, some say the reason this book, Mrs. Bridge, got 
dumped and lost into history is because it was overshadowed by the debuts of Philip Roth, who did that, ah. John Updike, Richard Yates, all these other authors at the time. It's just interesting that Thomas Savage said, this was my favorite yeah. novel. And it's also sort of overshadowed by other things coming out at the time. Or, oh, or that is interesting. People are not, the, the themes are maybe a bit further on. Oh, no. You broke yeah. the cycle, but you fell into another. Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the last bit of life influences, of course, come from the personal. And his thematics in most of his books deal with sexual boundaries or the bigotry of Western towns. Mm -hmm. And this novel in particular, The Power of the Dog, is related very much to people in his own life, though there are shades of that in the other novels. But his mother, for example, inspires a lot of the characters that he has of a culturally refined mother who's driven to alcoholism mm -hmm. and isolation, which is what happened with him. And yeah. then the, the stepfather as honest but slow-witted and himself as the outsider unsuited to ranch life. So all of those are based on his experiences. The one that caught me though is his uncle, or really his step-uncle, sort of as the calculating ranch hand, and then this becomes Philip for certain compared mm. to his stepfather who is Jesse Plemons. But his step-uncle in real life, he had said, was brilliant, quick at chess, you know, lean with yeah. a sharp nose, and in terms of some some vignettes, Thomas Savage's mother would be playing the piano and his uncle would be blasting on the banjo from upstairs, which I think is directly in the book mm -hmm. in the film, just terrorizing her. And in real yeah. life, and then this is the culmination of the thing, the man destroyed himself. He was fencing a haystack and the fence boards were slick with manure and rain, and so he splintered his hand and was dead within days from anthrax. Well, there it is. Of, of his own doing. So there this it is. is. It's interesting that it's sort of a- uh, Well, it's cut and dry one-to-one. -one. <laughs> you, have, you have the rough and gruff cattle hand get a wound on his hand, contract <laughs> anthrax, and die within a couple of days, because that's yeah. just exactly what happens in the mm -hmm. film. But in the novel, it's it's the the boy has, has done it. Yes, yes, the outsider who you know, having seen this man terrorize his mother, gets his comeuppance. You hardly ever see anything that close. <laughs> to, That's insane. To real that, life, the 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 narrative work there is he's inserted the the metaphor of himself as the Peter Boy character, mm -hmm. do actively doing it, uh, mm -hmm. uh, placing basically a trap unbeknownst to you know Phil and the audience until the very end. But other than that, it's basically one for one right there. <laughs> and the mother having alcoholism yeah. because she's, I mean, it's all there, yeah. Which is interesting then well, when Jane- Well, now I have a question about, so then who would be, so we have we have all, the, you know, God, some of these are direct translations, it feels like. <laughs> but then who would be the, the stand-in, the predecessor, the archetype for- Bronco Henry, the the Phil Burbank, you know, right. distant in the in the past, you know, supposedly well, I guess, that lured him into this this cycle. I guess that's the mystery, I I, I suppose, because I couldn't find it, and you know, it was the family that Jane said she visited that they're like, oh, well, this maybe was somebody that he was interested in, or that mm. you know was a figure that he looked up to, or whatever. But Thomas Savage, from all my research, did not identify in the in the same way that he had identified these other people in these stories. Gotcha. So there's nothing to point to who and what. 
may have happened yeah. there. Yeah. And then that's it's super interesting. This mm-hmm. character, I mean, it's a character purely in name and that in and, and reflected through the character of Phil Burbank. So we don't really know who uh, we don't really know who Bronco Henry is, um, but we see some of his belongings and we hear about him. And so it only leads to suggest what happened between him and Phil. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's the the, the lingering question here. Mm-hmm. Perhaps what is lingering in the drama and what makes this so interesting? Um, yeah, because these are real experiences. This is not just made up in in fiction. This is to some degree this happened all over the place. You know, yeah. people have experienced these things before. So, well, it's um, good that you bring that up. I think that's that's rounding out kind of the the why now, why wasn't it popular? Right. right. During his final years after his wife's passing, he moved around, moved to Seattle, San Francisco, then to Virginia worked on an incomplete novel that was set around World War I and centered on same-sex desire but couldn't find a publisher for it because the market still hadn't mm-hmm. opened up to this. So that's kind of part of it is, you know, obviously the the dark side of Western life yeah. would be unpopular as yeah. sci-fi and fantasy is coming in hot. <laughs> you know, people, right. it's, maybe he's a bit too early in the revisionism of it. And then the people you're pulling into, uh, you know, a film about the West, if you're then pulling them into a film that's saying, well, maybe the West wasn't all that great. So you're pulling in an audience that wants to see something while you're critiquing that thing or yeah. maybe showing them a side of it that they weren't aware of or don't agree with. Uh, you yeah. know, culture was in a very different place at the time. Yeah. And very interesting, even though it was critically acclaimed, as I had mentioned at the beginning, there was only one review out of all of them at the time that even mentioned the homosexual involvements. What? They all said, well, this is about two brothers against each other or good versus evil. Like it wasn't even- Like they just like didn't see it. Like they just were blind, you know, like they had like 3D glasses on and didn't see that, you know, color. (laughs) I mean, I think they could see it. I think they just didn't mention it to their readers (laughs) of the reviews. No, I I was just- Yeah. Yeah, so that's very unfortunate, and it it really was perhaps ahead of its time. I think the other thing being, as I said, he was over in Massachusetts. He did not network with the regional community of writers Hmm. and Western writers even in his time. That's kind of perhaps also why he's being appreciated now is because- He dared to be so honest (laughs) at the time. Yeah. it It wasn't easy to tell the truth. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's so much, we have to wink, wink, nod, nod about some of these things because it's not, it wasn't, it wasn't okay at the time. It's only yeah. now that we are able to make a movie like this about this at this stature, this much money behind it, um, that this, this was not okay in the forties, fifties, sixties while he's, you know, really forming himself and forming his voice as a writer. And this is even it's uh, as we said from the beginning, talking about the ending of the film or book. It's like, is it too abstract, or right. there's a lot of subtext? And it's like that's embedded into it. Hopefully, now you can see because of the author's life and because of the time when it was written. Too overt at the time, mm-hmm. too subtle and distant now. I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, but just yeah, fascinating to to uncover who he is, who Thomas Savage is. I'm also interested in the fact that like we're having so many more revisionist Western, like the Western genre is being questioned again. 
yeah in, in the past 10 years i feel like yeah it's definitely put it into question well what are the true stories of the west maybe there's more to it than the archetypes and the metaphors that we all kind of just jump to we can't verify we don't know some things because this was dangerous history it's not quite anymore it still is in some parts of the world but it's this is a battle basically uh and the, the the right to live the right to your own story and to make your own choices and there being nothing wrong about it yeah and and what an amazing reception it's had it's already topping a lot of a lot of lists so yeah. maybe thomas savage has finally got his due and we know jane <laughs> Jane has another hit on her hands. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you guys for sticking with us. Thank you, Taylor, for all the research this week. Yeah, yeah. Um, we enjoy doing this week to week, but we enjoy more so delivering the content that you want to have. So if you would, please get in touch with us. Let us know what you're reading. Let us know what you're watching. Let us know what you're excited about. You never know when we'll do an episode about that thing. Reach out to us at IlliteratePod on Instagram. If you have an episode that makes you think of somebody, send it to them. If we did an episode on somebody's favorite thing or something, do it. Just give us a like, give us some love, and we'll talk to y'all next week. Yeah.